Jesus back, back again, Kate's back, tell your friends, guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's back. I really should have included a trigger warning before subjecting you to my singing, <laughs> apologies. So here we are, episode 2 of The Angry Dinosaur. I'm still Kate, still 35, and still the voice behind the dinosaur. I may have cheated a little bit on this episode. It doesn't really have a topic, just mental health in general, but there is a reason for that. I've had quite a mixed week, and I'd like to delve into that a little bit, and the impact that it's had on my mental health journey. I'm just going to set the scene and rewind a few months to your April-May time, when I moved to York with my then-partner. Moving is a stressful time regardless of the circumstances, but especially when you move into a completely different part of the country. I was a little apprehensive in the build-up to the move. The BPD left me worrying that our relationship might not last and I'd be abandoned. However, when it came to the big day, I was excited and looking forward to our fresh start. There we were, fan-loaded, playlist ready, snacks ready, courtesy of the lobster who saw that as a priority as opposed to backing. And off we set. I was chief navigator, my lobster was behind the wheel steering wheel that is, I hadn't attempted to murder her. Those of you that have listened to episode one will be aware that I refer to my ex as my lobster. I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't in the midst of some psychotic episode here. I recall feeling relaxed on the journey. For those of you that have BPD, you will appreciate this is quite a rarity. So relaxed in fact that at one point my lobster asked me which way we needed to go, only to find me singing Tina Turner at the top of my voice whilst negotiating bites of a cookie in between lines. I mean... Snacks were her idea, and we did get there safely. Life felt pretty good when we first moved. We soon got the house looking homely, and were joined by our boys. Four-legged feline variety, not actual children, I might add. Felt like a family. I'm not really sure what happened. I guess we both got caught up in life, and things started to slip. I found myself getting tired and irritable. My mental health began to deteriorate. I became quite paranoid and rather than talk to my lobster about my state of mind, I found myself almost creating a reality around the thoughts that I was having. Before I knew what had happened, she was in love with somebody else and I was just waiting for her to leave. At least, that's what happened in my mind. I started to withdraw from our ship, began sleeping on the sofa. I was constantly questioning her feelings and motives and scrutinising every little thing she did, almost an attempt to prove my theories. Of course, I didn't prove them, as there was nothing to prove. All I did was drive a massive wedge between the two of us and ultimately created the iceberg that sunk our ship. And that was when I hit rock bottom. I sought help for my mental health. I actually ended up attending A&E after several calls to a crisis team went unanswered. This happened several weeks ago and despite informing the hospital that I didn't want to be here anymore, I received my follow-up call yesterday. Don't get me wrong, I know that the NHS is stretched. I realise that there isn't enough funding and actually there's just simply too much of a demand but surely something has to change. What feels like a lifetime ago, I worked as a fundraiser on behalf of the NSPCC, a wonderful charity that does so much for our children. I'll always remember one of the lines I used in my spiel that was used to inform people about a service they offer called Childline. I think at that point one in four calls went unanswered. Imagine being so scared, angry, hurt, upset that you need support. You don't know who to turn to and after days, weeks or even months you finally pluck up the courage to reach out. You pick up the phone, you dial the number. The number that will change your life because they are there to support you. And it rings, and it rings, and it rings. Nobody answers. That tiny flicker of light at the end of the tunnel vanishes. You feel betrayed. You feel like you're not important, like your life doesn't matter. You lose faith in the system, faith in the people that are supposed to be able to help. Whilst I'm not a child, I still experience those exact feelings. Don't get me wrong, there have been times when I've not asked for help. 
and I've felt okay and I've not pushed for support. But on that occasion, I really needed it. I'm lucky. I have an excellent family network around me and I went back home to be with them. Some people don't have that luxury. I was reading an article in The Guardian earlier this week and it was essentially a plea by Stephen Fry to introduce walking mental health hubs to support young people. Stephen has publicly spoken about his own struggles with mental health and he reflected on his own youth as a time of confused despair. In a second article in The Telegraph, Stephen wrote, I've done my best to speak candidly about my own struggles with mental health, living through bipolar and navigating my way through several dark and troubling times, including a near-fatal overdose. He went on to suggest that he's seen a reduction in the stigma associated with mental health, but that the pandemic has taken a huge toll on people's well-being. Research conducted by Mind has shown that young people are amongst the hardest hit. He suggested that children aren't getting enough support from schools, partly because mental health issues are often viewed as bad behaviour. I particularly liked this quote. Better to accept our own moral responsibilities to the young and strive to understand and ameliorate this crisis. For crisis, it is. For those of you that enjoy stats, mine conducted a survey of almost 12,000 people. They suggested that almost one in three young people self-harmed in 2020. And if we consider Stephen's point about the pandemic, in February 2021, there were 305,802 young people in contact with mental health services in England, compared to 237,088 the previous year. I think we would probably all agree that there needs to be support available, but are walking pods the answer? I'm really not sure. The referral process and timescales are ridiculous, but I think that creating a non-referral process would see them inundated with people that they simply wouldn't have the resources to deal with. My worry then would be that people weren't receiving the same level and standard of care. Stephen mentioned the roles that schools play, and that seems a logical thought process, but having worked in a school, I know how stretched their resources are too. We send our children to school to gain an education, and we're very lucky with the standard of education in this country. And whilst it's understandable that school staff, not just teaching staff, have a duty of care for the young people they come face to face with, is it fair to make them responsible for the mental well-being of children too? There's also not obvious signs. In my experience, people with mental health struggles become very good at hiding it, and mental health is, after all, referred to as an invisible illness. If we are to lean on schools to take more responsibility for the mental well-being of their students, surely we need to provide them with the training and knowledge to recognise mental health concerns. Not only do staff need to be educated, but surely we should be spending more time talking to students and educating them too. Whilst the stigma surrounding mental health may be becoming less apparent, I still don't think that we as society talk about it enough. A quote by Glenn Close that sums it up for me is, It is an odd paradox that a society which can now speak openly and unabashedly about topics that were once unspeakable still remains largely silent when it comes to mental illness. It's such a big topic to cover that I'll come back to the support that's available in future episodes and hopefully get some guests to share their experiences. So, back to my story. I left the hospital after they basically told me to call the crisis team and wait for somebody to get in touch. And as I said, I went home for a couple of weeks. I've started to read a lot and I've been using tools available at the Recovery College, which is where I've started to get my head around DBT. I started to feel much better in myself and returned to work. I've been talking more and really trying to be kind to myself and surround myself with people that are also kind. The lobster recently got in touch to update me on the boys and we've actually been able to communicate calmly and effectively. I managed to visit them yesterday. All they cared about was the ham that had taken them. Typical cats. Prior to that, I'd spent a few days back home with my family and shared lots of laughter with them. However... I did get a phone call from work to tell me that I did not pass my probation period, essentially due to my mental health, so a mixture of emotions really. A few weeks ago, that would have tipped me over the edge, but I've actually been able to see the bigger picture and realise that I needed that time out to begin to heal. 
I've been thinking more so than ever that things happen for a reason, and perhaps this is one of those occasions. I noticed an Instagram post by To Write Love on Her Arms. Give them a follow if you don't already. Healing rarely comes in the form we expect or desire. More often, healing comes through acknowledgement of the pain and a willingness to show up for the daily glimpses of beauty along the way. I can relate to that as I'm now in a place to see that there are many positive things in my life. I have an incredible family, good friends and my health. I was feeling quite anxious about seeing the lobster and the boys, but it actually made me smile. I've not experienced a love like this before. I guess BPD can make you act and behave selfishly. And I've fought for relationships in the past because I felt like I needed them. But this time, I felt happy in the knowledge that she's happy. It's a nice feat. I'm going to finish with a poem. This one is by Tanya Hart. Your darkness doesn't want a battlefield, a broken bond. She wants cuddles and presents. She wants seduction and art. She wants acceptance for who she is. So put down your sword and love her. And that's goodbye from me and goodbye from... Oh, wait, sorry, wrong mental illness.